Now, I'd like a complete and accurate description of everything you did. Complete? And totally accurate. What the pig said. Okay. First, I kicked him in the shins. In the shins, Firstly, he did. Oh! 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 Oh, that hurt! Oh, not again! That's like last time! Lastly, now is that, is that exactly how you did it? Well, not exactly. Really, it was more like this. Harder. Harder? Oh! Not at all the other one! Oh! Oh! Uh-huh. And then what? Well, and then I punched him in the jaw. Wait, you don't have to do that! Punched him in the jaw. Wait a minute. This is not right. Hi-ho, and welcome once again to a feat of lunatic daring. The most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, Muppetational podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. My name is Chad. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Jackson. Nick, how's the bay? I mean, it's been raining a lot. It's been really cold, but that might just be because my apartment's poorly insulated. And also, it's January. Should be kind of cold. We got, we're got we sitting here in uh, eastern Pennsylvania with about three and a half inches of snow. Three and a half, four inches of snow. I haven't seen snow in years. It wasn't that good packing snow. It was okay for sledding, but it, it wasn't perfect packing snow. Mm. It was a little too dusty, you know? You get the mm-hmm. kind of dusty snow. This is a Feed of Lunatic Daring War podcast about Jim Henson and the Muppets. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you to check us out on social media at Lunatic Daring on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, lunaticdaring.com, where we uh, have all of our episodes, our watch list, and our bibliography. And I should have been asking this for the last year and a half, but I just kind of realized I should have been. Please uh, go on your podcast app and rate the show. That actually helps, I found out. So <laughs> so go on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or whatever, rate the show. Give it five stars. You know what? If you want to be a, a, a spoil sport and give us four stars, fine. If you want to go lower than that, don't, don't worry about it. But if you want to go on there, give us a nice little review. It would it helps. It helps the, as people say, it helps the algorithm. Uh, and uh, we would appreciate it a lot. We've got six reviews on there. And I know there are more than six of you listening. So if you haven't written a review and you're listening, it's real simple. And thanks for listening. Uh, we are working our way through season three of The Muppet Show, two episodes at a time. We are almost at the end. Yeah, I think we've got, what, two two to four more episodes? We got this and next week. And that's it. Wow. Tonight we have a couple of episodes that are actually oddly similar. I could see that. Yeah, there's there's sort of like a country wedge. Well, there's there's the country thing, but there's also a parallel, and eh, we'll, we'll talk about it. But a couple of high concept episodes tonight that I thought were kind of fun. So, uh, but uh, let's get started. Let's get started. It's some up at y'all with our very special guest star, Roger Miller. So our special guest on episode three twenty one is singer Ray Stevens. Oh wait, that's not right. Yeah, that's not right. It's Roger Miller. <laughs> I was very confused for a second there. If anybody knows Ray Stevens, it's a very confusing. Uh, anyway. Uh, I I knew Roger Miller because of a couple of the songs he had written. Did you know anything about him? No, my own, my this is my first time ever seeing him. I think we've heard some of his songs on the show before. He just looks a lot like Tim Casher, and it's it threw me off a little bit. Roger Dean Miller was born January second, nineteen thirty six, in Fort Worth, Texas. But his father died when he was one, and his mother, who couldn't make ends meet during the Depression sent her three sons to live with three of her late husband's brothers. 
and Roger was sent to his uncle Elmer and aunt Armelia on a farm outside of Eric, Oklahoma. So he could, even though he's born in Texas, he considers himself an Oklahoman. Roger grew up dirt poor. Uh, he picked cotton on his family farm and was educated in a one-room schoolhouse. He was an introvert as a child and spent his time in his head composing songs and, and stuff and, and stories. When he was in high school, a friend taught him some guitar chords and bought him a fiddle. Uh, he started sneaking out of the house to try to play gigs around town. And at 17, he stole a guitar. He actually broke down and stole a guitar because he didn't have one to play on. But the next day, he was feeling so guilty, he turned himself in. In order to avoid jail time, though, for it, he enlisted in the army. He later said that his education was Korea, Clash of 52. After the war, he was stationed in Atlanta and South Carolina, and in both places he played in like local bands. Uh, after he was discharged, he headed straight to Nashville. There, Roger took a job at the Andrew Jackson Hotel and was soon known to the staff as the singing bellhop. He played in some bands and met country star George Jones who liked him and got him an audition at his label, Star Day Records. It went well, and Jones and Miller ended up writing two songs together, Happy Child and Tall, Tall Trees. Well, if you want to own a great big mansion, well, I'll give it my utmost attention. I'll buy you tall, tall trees and all the waters in the seas. I'm a fool, fool, fool for you. Well, I'm a fool, fool for you. It may take a while, but I'll prove it's true. Roger got married in 53, started working as a fireman in Amarillo, Texas then to like pay the bills while he was still playing at night. Miller said that as a fireman, he only saw two fires, one in a chicken coop and one uh, quote that he, quote, slept through, uh, after which the department suggested that he seek other employment. After getting canned, he met country singer Ray Price and became a member of the Cherokee Cowboys. Ray brought him back to Nashville, where he wrote hit songs for Rex Allen, Farron Young, and Jim Reeves. And no, I don't know who any of those people are either. But he became one of the biggest country songwriters of the 1950s. Roger signed a recording deal with uh, Decca Records in 58. His first couple of singles didn't really chart, and he went on tour with Farron Young's band as a drummer, despite not actually <laughs> being a drummer. He then signed to he uh, then he signed another record deal with RCA Victor, and he recorded his song "You Don't Want My Love." also known as In the Summertime. In 1960, he had his first hit song, peaking at number 14 on the country charts. The next year, he had another big song called When Two Worlds Collide. Your world was so different from mine, don't you see? We just couldn't be close, though we tried. We both reached for heavens, but ours weren't the same. That's what happens when two worlds collide. Then, as soon as he had taken off, Roger grew tired of music, divorced his wife of over a decade, started partying like a rock star, to the point where his label dumped him and he quit music for like a minute. This is funny. I was reading the Wikipedia page and it's like, and then he quit music. And the next paragraph is about his music. So it's, I think he, he quit for like two seconds. Like how some people decide after a, a long night out that they're going to stop drinking until the following weekend. It feels like an early midlife crisis. He, he gets divorced, he quits his job. He starts drinking a lot. He tried a career in Hollywood, but it didn't work out. So he was getting short on cash and he signed on to a small record label. I think he was still partying 
like he was a rock star, but he signed with a small label to record 16 songs at 100 bucks a song. The first two singles, Dang Me and Chugalug, peaked at number one and number three. His career as a country singer-songwriter was back on, but it, it, it had this kind of, um, like I said, Ray stevens kind of fun, uh, kind of goofy vibe, nonsense songs, a lot of uh, scatting and improvised uh, noises, um, again, which is very Ray Stevens-like. His biggest hit was, the 1960, was 1964's King of the Road. Told from the point of view of a homeless person, although back then they would have called him a tramp or a hobo. It reached number one on the country charts, uh, the adult contemporary charts, and the UK singles. Trailers for sale are rent. Rooms to let 50 cents. No phone, no pool, no pets. Ain't got no cigarettes, I but two hours of pushing. Other songs of his from this period are like Engine Number no. 9, Kansas City Star, and Walking in the Sunshine, which was his final hit that he ever had that he wrote for himself. After his label folded, he signed with Columbia Records and performed three songs in the Walt Disney version of Robin Hood. Yes, the one with the sexy, sexy foxes playing the fifth level rooster bard, Alan Adale. That's my favorite Disney movie. And Not in Nottingham is such a depressing song. I can't believe every town has its ups and downs. Sometimes ups. Outnumber the downs, but not in Nottingham. I'm inclined to believe if we weren't so down, we'd up and leave. In the mid '80s, he wrote a score for he wrote a score for a Broadway musical based on the adventures of Huck Finn called Big River. The show was a smash, debuting in 1985, and earned seven Tony Awards, including one for Roger. In that original show, Huck's father was played by a young John Goodman, who left the production to go probably be in like Raising Arizona. Probably it's around that time. But uh, for three months after Goodman left, the part of the father was then played by Roger himself. Um, it's kind of the biggest acting role he ever had, I think. He would do a few TV roles here and there, but the acting never really took off. After the show closed, he moved with his family to Santa Fe. He was remarried by then with uh, eight kids. <laughs> he wrote a song with Dwight Yoakam. He toured a little. But in 1991, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. He was a lifelong smoker. His last performance on TV was a special tribute to Minnie Pearl, which aired on October 26, 1992, the day after Roger died. He was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame three years later. He was a fun guest. He's mugging it a little too much sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> it bothers me here less than it did um, a couple episodes back. You're talking about Leslie Uggams, aren't you? Yes, I am. Okay. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just better contextualized. It doesn't clash as much. Um, Muppet Show episode 321, special guest star Roger Miller, produced mid-January 1979. Came out February 16th, 1979 in the UK and May in New York. Come in. Roger Miller, 15 seconds to curtain, Mr. Miller. Okay, thank you, Scooter. 
Seems kind of quiet around here for a Muppet show. When do things start jumping? And then, of course, all the furniture starts jumping. And a kangaroo. There's like the furniture starts jumping, and then there's a kangaroo. I guess it was hiding under the desk. It was waiting for its cue. And Roger kind of, I will say, he does kind of mug it up here. He does overplay mm. it a little bit, but that's, you know, you got to get used to that. Stahler and Wardorf have an amazing line during the credits, though, where they're, they're in their box, and all of a sudden they're surrounded by penguins. Don't look now, but I think there's penguins among us. I don't know. It sounded kind of ominous. It makes it sound like it was a callback to something that they'd both experienced earlier in life, where there was some sort of traumatic incident involving penguins. Or at least, like, people in tuxedos. Yeah. So Kermit comes out and gives us our opening number. Hey, we're going to do it again. Here we are, and welcome to it. It is the Muppet Show. I'm Kermit the Frog, and our special guest star is the one and only, sure to please or guarantee your money back, Mr. Roger Miller. But first, but first, I ask you to picture life aboard the Mayflower as it sailed for the New World in 1620. What must it have been like? Well, probably not like this. Uh, where we get the penguins again. I call this colonialism the musical. <laughs> um, those pilgrims didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Alabama landed on them. Can we talk about the fact that the ship looks like PC clip art from like 1995? Man, it was 1979. Get off their back. <laughs> I, no, no, I that wasn't a complaint. It was mostly just like a weirdly layered nostalgia. And we have a bunch of penguins uh, on the Mayflower as pilgrims, dressed as, well, they're not really dressed as pilgrims. Well, pil I guess penguins are naturally dressed as pilgrims. They have the hats. They do have the hats. And they sing a song called Alabama Bound, which is an old standard from 1925, which is about, which is kind of like a less rednecky version of Sweet Home Alabama. I guess the whole joke is the incongruity, right? Yeah, sort of like the, uh, as much as it pains me to reference this episode, the Oklahoma, Yokohama. Uh, right, right. Overlap. This is far less racist. Probably. No, here I go, I'm Land ho! We've arrived in the new world! It's Plymouth Rock! <laughs> and look over there! Ford Rock and Chevrolet Rock! <laughs> it's the promised land! I chuckled at the uh, Ford Rock and Chevrolet Rock. Yeah, references. yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, Plymouth Rock, Ford Rock, Chevrolet Rock. That was a very, that didn't feel like a Muppet joke to me for some reason. Just because of the cutaways and it, I don't know, it didn't feel like a Muppet joke. It was weird. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was entertaining, if not especially great. But, you know, we, we've kind of gotten used to these openers. Mm. And I think it, it firmly falls in the middle. So now our, back, our backstage story. This is, like I said, this is a fairly high concept episode. I just want to find out that one of the Henson kids caught chicken pox. And this is where Jim got the idea from. It's quite possible. So it turns out, now this is going to lead to some very uncomfortable moments involving Gonzo. <laughs> But it turns out there's a disease going around where the penguins are coming off stage and one of them sneezes and turns into a chicken. Can we talk for a second about how weirdly unsettling it is in a show full of talking animals to hear a chicken talk? That is strange, isn't it? Like, I remember looking at it before I was aware of like what was actually going on going on. I was like, that chicken shouldn't talk. Yeah, it's real weird to hear the chickens talk, which, like you said, is a completely bizarre thing to say. Yeah, the other animals can talk, but not the chickens. So uh, it turns out there's a disease going around called cluckitis. And basically what it does, and, you know, we're still, we're, we're facing another lockdown right now. So this episode felt fairly prescient. All I was, I just, I was like, wear a mask. 
they just wear a mask, they would all be safe from cluckitis. Relatively, yeah. It seems to be airborne. I mean, if how many of the Muppets have proper ears, though? There's probably a workaround. <laughs> so uh, cluckitis is the disease that when you, it makes you sneeze, and then when you sneeze, you turn into a chicken. But you do retain some of your features, which is going to lead to some very disconcerting-looking puppets. Hey, hey Chad. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this episode in any way, shape, or form was influenced by whatever the source material was for the thing? <laughs> for the thing? <laughs> well, there's the, the thing was based on uh, a movie called The Thing. It's a remake. I, th- of I thought there was an old Lovecraft story, but I can't remember. Oh, it might be, but it was also the thing. The thing that the John Carpenter thing was a remake of uh, Howard Hawks is the thing. Hmm. I, here's a strike against Gonzo. When Gonzo finds out this chicken used to be a penguin, he says, yuck. But through the rest of the episode, he's completely okay. He doesn't care who used to be that who used to be that chicken. He is down for that chicken. There's an acclimation phase. He calls them all ladies, no matter who they are. Because <laughs> on the Muppets, to be fair, on the Muppets, I mean, they're all they're all hen, they're all turning into hens, right? So they are all ladies, I guess. I mean, I, I think that's just how Gonzo says, "Hey, ma." But <laughs> maybe, maybe. But then uh, as they're explaining what cluckitis is, we see the Swedish chef is on the balcony and he sneezes and he turns into a chicken with a uh, little like, you know, gray hairs, mustache. So this was a missed opportunity because the other chicken definitely should have come out with a cleaver. Like this would be her day to shine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wrote, I'm going to cut this out, but I wrote down, oh, f- any chicken that moves. Um, <laughs> if it clucks, I f- that is Gonzo's motto. If it clucks, I'd f- I want to leave that in, but I can't. <laughs> so uh, that's going to be our backstage story is that everyone's turning into chickens. So Roger has his opening number where he sings a song we have heard before. One, two, three, four. In the summertime, when all the trees and leaves are green and the red bird sings, I'll be blue because she don't want my love. Some other time, that's what you say when I want you Then you laugh at me and make me cry Cause you don't want my love Well, you don't seem to care a thing about me You never live without me Then to have my arms around you when the night's cold You're so all Um, he sings a song that I mentioned earlier uh, In the Summertime, also known as You Don't Want My Love uh, but we know this from episode 123. Once upon a time, you used to smile and wave to me and walk with me, but now you don't, cause you don't want my love. Some other guys take it up all your time. Now you don't have time for me, cause you don't want my love. You don't seem to care a thing about me. You'd rather live without me than to have arms around you when the nights are cold and you're so alone. In the summertime, when all the trees when it was sung by the country trio. This was their last performance, right? So something about the way that Rogers dressed up here, and I don't know if it's just the gloves, but there's something weirdly menacing about him. I can't put my finger on it. It's because he looks like a plantation owner. That might be it. <laughs> That's what I thought. He looks like a southern farmer, like plantation like there was, owner. There was that bit of in mice or in of mice and men where one of the guys that was like looking in on the people on the field kept Vaseline in his glove to keep his hand soft for his wife. Was it Curly? Yeah, Curly. Yeah, yeah. Something about the way the way he stands out, the way he contrasts, the way that all of the watermelons look like critters. <laughs> they like, do. He does have some singing watermelons with him. 
it's I, I was just looking at it like there's something weirdly deeply unsettling about this and it's not spike milligan upsetting but it's oh no 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 it, it look he looks like a, a gentleman farmer yeah anti or post bellum i can't tell you but he looks oh, like a gentleman I mean, farmer yeah i was writing down these words i like jim's version more when my wife looks at me and goes i like jim's version more <laughs> and that's not fair to Roger. It's his song. Once again, now, one more time. Said <laughs> I thought the scatting and the 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 improvised stuff was actually a lot of fun. He seems to have a good time doing it. So we go backstage, and um, Kermit has a very <laughs> odd moment because he walks up to a chicken. He looks real close to it, and he goes, "Have you always been a chicken?" <laughs> It gets real offended. So here's the thing about that. <laughs> yeah. Is this code I, for something? First, I'm, I'm going to make two points. One, Kermit totally mishandles his response this episode. Absolutely mishandles it. Secondly, my first job was being an RA. And I remember after a long night, I would get out of the elevator at like two or three in the morning. And one of my residents would run by in a, like a full-size Gumby outfit. And I don't know how planned it was or if it was just something they did regularly at that, that time of night. And I was just usually sleeping through it or something. But they would run by once, run down the stairs. And then two minutes later, they would run by again as if to reaffirm that, yes, they are, in fact, in a Gumby outfit. But I, I understand that inclination that Kermit had to look at the chicken and be like, am I about to forget your name? <laughs> it's a thing. So this chicken seems very upset by this and leaves. And then Scooter comes in. And I'm upset by what Scooter looks like as a chicken. That's fair. Yeah. What are the glasses affixed to? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're Muppet glasses. The eyes are on the outside. That's just how they work. <laughs> um, Scooter is legally blind. So, yeah, Scooter turns into a chicken and, and uh, Kermit's like, Ixnay on the Ick and Che. Look, look, I, I don't want the rest of the cast to know about this, Scooter. Just don't say anything, huh? Yeah, but, but as soon as I talk, they'll know. Well, so don't talk. Uh, from now on, just make chicken sounds. <laughs> I, I'm going upstairs. Uh, just a second to see how things are upstairs. Uh, wait, wait a minute, Scooter. Huh? What's huh? on next? Oh, uh, cluck, 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 cluck. thought Scooter had a good point. He's like, yeah, but as soon as I start talking, they're going to know it's me. He just tells them to keep clucking. Then we get Bear on patrol. I thought this was funny, and my kids did not. <laughs> that's fun they were very upset because they're watching Fozzie get abused because Fozzie gets the shit kicked out of him and they don't get the irony part they don't get the joke because Bear on Patrol one thing you have to understand is Bear on Patrol is all about Link hmm. every episode is about Link it's about how dim-witted and oblivious Link is and Fozzie suffers every episode Fozzie like suffers for Link's obliviousness Fozzie brings in a guy and, and is charging him with assaulting an officer, namely Fozzie. And Link uh, at the desk asks uh, asks the uh, suspect to describe what he did in great detail. First, I punched you in the jaw. Wow! And then I kicked you. You what? Wow! Thank you. Thank you very much. Accuracy okay. is important. Yeah. Well, the next thing was I grabbed him by the collar do and that. I made squishy, squishy with his nose. Oh, no, not that again. Please don't. Using it as an excuse to assault the officer again. And my and my five-year-old just went, poor Fozzie. They didn't find it funny. 
I did. So I know I've got a warped sense of humor and I've been on that side of a joke on a couple of occasions where it seems like it's bad form to laugh at it. And it probably is. It doesn't mean I'm not going to laugh at it, but it might make the person standing next to me very uncomfortable. But they have more respect for the police than I do, my kids. <laughs> so if Ozzy was just a plain clothes person, this would have upset you more. <laughs> if he wasn't, if he was just a bear and not a bear on patrol. A cab, bitches. No. Um, yes. If he was just a bear, and not a bear on patrol. Um, uh, no, they just, they love Fozzie and they didn't, they didn't get the irony of it. They didn't get the humorous con. They didn't quite understand the conceit. So all they saw was this pig beating the shit out of Fozzie and me doing my best not to laugh at them for being upset about the. <laughs> Something tells me that your kids should not be present for any aspect of a meet the feebles episode. If we ever do that. Oh God, no, they can't watch Meet the feebles. And then, um, it ends of course with Fozzie. Uh, uh, Well, first it ends with Link letting the guy go (laughs) for being cooperative. I think Frank's great in this, though. Mm -hmm. The way he's playing Fozzie is just like, oh, the shin again, again with the shin. It it hurts again. (laughs) Just just the way he's playing every time he gets hit. He never it just oh, it's very funny. Um, And then Fozzie sneezes and he um. What's that thing? He becomes a chicken. They're going to keep becoming chickens. Uh, We have a little tiny bit backstage where Robin and Kermit are trying to figure out what's going on with the cluckitis. (laughs) And um, but he doesn't want Roger to know because he's embarrassed. I don't know why Kermit's so embarrassed about it. But and you're right. He is kind of mismanaging the situation. I mean, we've got a potentially like contagious disease going on backstage and he doesn't alert anyone. Oh, no. He tells the people that have it to downplay it. Like this is classic horror movie mayor mismanagement. This is like DeSantis shit. Oh. Mm. <laughs> Underreporting your numbers, you know? Letting tests go bad. Yeah, what are you, a Cuomo? So, uh, but it's kind of hard to hide it from Roger because when Roger comes over, Robin sneezes and turns into a chick, which was a cute surprise. It's a cute surprise, but there's also something unsettling about seeing Robin's eyes on the chick. Like they're yes. bugging out a little bit. <laughs> they're bugging out a little bit. Mookie! <laughs> what? Come here, no brothers up on a war. Man, ask Sal, right? Hey, hey, Sal, how come we got no brothers on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. Then he goes out and um, he introduces. And, and listen, the whole idea is he's trying to keep it from Roger because he's embarrassed, but Roger totally knows. Oh, yeah. And so then we go out on stage for Roger's second number. It's another song of his. It's called Hat. And it is a song about three guys in hats. Well, they start as three guys in hats. Hey, kid, where'd you get the lid? Where'd you get a lid like that? If toes you, why would you tell me where I could find a hat like that? Hey, old chap, where'd you get the cap? Roger and a couple of three and whatnots sing the song together. And the song is very simple. He it's from 1979. So it's like a brand new contemporary song at the moment from his album, making a name for myself. He sings this song about, about three people wearing hats, but then at the, uh, each one of them ends up turning into a chicken. It's a hat. It's a hat. And that topper is a topper. And you can't top that. So if you got the bread, I say, why not spend it for something for your head? Oh, hey, Herbie, where'd you get the derby? 
three words. And a hat like that. <laughs> if I don't you, why would you tell me where? I could find a hat like that. And he has kind of a genuine moment at the end where he breaks when he's surrounded by the chickens. And he kind of loses his, his uh, composure for a second. If you like this stuff, I think he's very good. It's, he's very entertaining. If you don't like this stuff, it's probably it could be cloying. Yeah, I, I'm somewhere in the middle. I like yeah. I'm not someone who's ever been a, a big country fan. I did like this one just because the way the hats played into the conceit of being able to track who was who was a nice touch. Yes. But yeah, that was nice. So this is dereliction of duty on my part. The UK spot from this episode is not on Disney plus. Now I still have my DVDs and I had meant to go check it on the DVDs, but instead I'm an old man and I took a nap. So Nick's going to have to tell me a little bit about the UK spot um, where the Muppets in a bar sing down at the old bull and bush. Um, which is a British uh, music hall song from 1903. Uh, anything to say about it? There's not a lot to say about it. Um, I mean, it's we've got a lot of Muppets making direct eye contact with the camera. They're singing the old song. There's stuff moving in scene, but it's still it feels reminiscent of one of the UK spots that you would have seen in one of the first couple of seasons, or maybe the second season, because I know the early season it was mostly Rolf. But it ends with a, a cow coming in. That's about all there is to it. Like it's played pretty straight. I don't even know if it's played particularly straight. It's it's not a super memorable one. Uh, so after that, um, or in my case, directly after the scene before, we're in uh, Roger's dressing room. This episode's kind of brought back the talk spot in a way. Mm-hmm. Like they, they do these kind of sly talk spots. What Muppet Wiki calls guest stars dressing room. But Kermit comes in to talk about talk to Roger about the show. And uh, again, he's trying to hide the cluckitis. But then a chicken comes in with uh, Lou Zealand's voice and he demonstrates his uh, boomerang egg throwing act. So I, I had a couple of notes here. One, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, not quite nightmare fuel, but approaching it. Two, I really mm-hmm. hope that Lou Zealand never turns into a primate. Yeah. Okay. Because you saw how you reach back for that egg and he was just like, the eggs are going to come back now. And also, those are kind of his ki- Like, there are levels to this that are like Russian nesting doll uncomfortable. What are in those eggs? When they splattered, they were gross. They didn't look like eggs. I mean, to be fair, if they're rotating at a certain rate, the yolk might break up a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. It, it was gross. And then Roger makes whew, a bad joke. I gotta say it. These are the yolks, folks. It's almost cruel that they did that to him. He looked game. He did, but come on. <laughs> we have a very, very brief... Musical interstitial with Rolf playing Pop Goes the Weasel. and But before the weasel pops, he turns into a chicken. But, as my kids pointed out, he finishes the song. He is a professional. He plucks out the last couple of notes with his beak. But it's more just more like, hey, everybody, uh, everybody's turning into a chicken. Kermit, <laughs> this is a funny moment, actually. Kermit has asked Gonzo to put out together a list of all the Muppets that have cluckitis who have turned. And while they're talking and going through the list, this one with big old eyelashes and a pearl necklace pushes its way in between them. 
So this is the perfect opportunity for Gonzo to re-up his massive crush on Miss Piggy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Kermit's like, it's like, what do you want, chicken? Like, like it doesn't even occur to him that she couldn't be somebody else. He's just like, what are you doing, chicken? <laughs> I feel like at this point in the show, Kermit's just in denial and trying to handle his problems without directly handling his problems. And he, he gets karate chopped for that one. Will you get out of here, chicken? Oh, yeah? Chicken this! Oh. I mean, you can't tell it's Piggy. He's got the pearls and everything. Notice who's immune to this disease. Gonzo. Gonzo. So Gonzo also seems, I would like to talk about this. Gonzo seems horny for all the chickens. I mean. Camilla is not in this. We don't know that Camilla isn't in this. While the bird's away, the weirdo will play. I don't know. I feel like this is probably just one of Gonzo's fantasies come to life. It does feel like he wished this into existence. It's the weirdest monkey paw because he doesn't like Camilla disappeared because he cracked the monkey's paw and wished that everyone was chickens. And he's perfectly fine with it because he has no object permanence. Or he just wished that he would go to work every day and everyone would be a chicken. He just didn't realize they would retain their personalities. I don't know, but <laughs> it was a poorly worded wish, but there's a, a funny beat though. When uh, Rolf right at the end of Rolf's number, the chicken's coming off screen off stage. You just see this chicken and Kermit's like uh veteran's hospital up next. And the chicken kind of shrugs and turns back around and goes back <laughs> on stage. Cause apparently it's Rolf. And then we have veterinary's hospital with three chickens. And now veterinarian's hospital cluck cluck. A continuing story of a quack who's gone to the dogs. More like a dog that's gone to the quacks. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Bob, chickens do not quack. They do when they're young. They do? Sure. If you drop an egg, it'll quack. Because they've all turned into chickens at this point, and they make a bunch of uh, pretty bad chicken jokes. Yeah. I think the performers are enjoying the chickens. I think so. It really feels like they're having a good time playing the chickens with the different voices and everything. It just... And with the different looks and, um, you know, they've got the, kind of the droopy eyelashes on Janice and stuff. And I mean, they always have energy, but there's a little spark of energy in the chicken performances that you don't normally get for the chickens. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're having a good time. So we've got all these chickens. The only way to finish this off is to sing a song, sing a medley of country songs in a chicken coop, I guess. Well, I hear tell you're doing well. Good things have come to you. I wish I had your happiness and you had to do I could 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 do So uh, our finale is um uh, Roger Miller singing a medley of his own songs surrounded by all of the muppet chickens with a couple exceptions TR Rooster is on guitar or bass and our buddy Black Rooster is on drums We saw him earlier actually he was I think hitting like backstage. on some of the other chickens in the backstage yeah We get a medley of songs called a do whack a do, dang me, dang me, dang me, you're hang me, high from the highest tree, woman would you weep for me, beep, 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 bow, bow, bow. My uncle used to love me, but she died, which is a nonsense song. In probably one of his most famous songs, you can't roller skate in a buffalo herd. This is another similarity it's going to have with the next episode. This this closing number is very much like the closing number of the next episode. Yeah. Um, and it's just a medley of Roger Miller songs. Grandma uncle used to love me, but she died. A chicken ain't chicken till it's looking good fried. Keep on the sunny side. Uncle used to love me, but she died. Why isn't the chicken animal at the drums? 
He's at the drumster in the closing credits. That's a good question. Why Black Rooster? This is one of those things where, like, I thought it was entertaining, but it's probably more entertaining if you actually know the songs, just like any yeah. other medley is, you know? I, I know one of them. Ready to keep roller skating a buffalo herd. Can't roller skating a buffalo herd. Can't roller skating a buffalo herd. But you can be happy if you've a mind to. I don't know. I, again, I enjoyed him. I thought he was game. I didn't think it was necessarily amazing. But yeah, I think this is, I guess, like a half step above that person that's just going to be playing to their fan base because he he was playing his songs, but he was still game as a Muppet Show guest and he still interacted and played with them just fine. And then uh, finally Kermit turns into a uh, right before that bit. Finally, Kermit turns into a chicken and he has to when he brings out Roger to say goodnight, he has to admit to Roger that, yes, we all have pluckitis. And Roger says you'll get over it in a couple of days as long as you're vaccinated, people. As long as you're vaccinated. Then we get uh, something we don't get very often. Every once in a while, we get an alternate version of the closing theme where this time all the musicians are replaced by. Well, they're not replaced by chickens. They are just they've been transmogrified into into chickens. Then we get a very disturbing image at the end. I thought. So it says that they're possums and that makes sense. But part of me wondered, because Tyler and Waldorf are so old, are these just like prehistoric dogs? Like, are they... Yeah, because because it cuts to them and it's a funny moment where it cuts to them and they are basically they're just a couple of possums from Emmett Otter and they're in Statler and of suits and they go. I bet you were expecting chickens. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> which is which is funny. But then they start saying, yeah, woof, woof. And you're like, you're not dogs, but you're right. They could be some kind of prehistoric wild dog that would like roam the tundras somewhere or they might have never seen a possum i thought this is a pretty good one though i i I enjoyed this yeah it's a solid episode roy rogers and dale evans 15 seconds to curtain roy and dale nick i knew who roy rogers and dale evans were theoretically what i didn't realize watching this episode that it was basically going to be like what if my grandpa was a guest star on the Muppet show? Yeah, I uh it, it really reminded me of my grandparents. This isn't boomer country. This is greatest well, generation country. This is like um not that the preceding episode was particularly salacious or risque, but <clears throat> this one feels super clean. It's so white. It's so white and clean in every single way imaginable. Sanitized a little. Yeah, it is. Um, but that's that's their image though, I think. Mm-hmm. So tell tell me about Roy Rogers and uh his gal, Dale Evans. So, Roy Rogers, born Leonard Franklin Sly. <laughs> We're already off to a great start. Which is a way better name. Leonard Sly? Leonard Sly. Shit, man, you find yourself in a funk band, like, real fast with a name like that. Or as a career criminal, but, like... <laughs> that's true. That's way more epic than Roy Rogers. I, I guess it's not a squeaky clean, but you know what? Maybe be an outlaw a little bit. Get that black hat. Yeah. He was born on November 5th, 1911 to Matt, Maddie and Andy Sly in Cincinnati, Ohio. The family lived in a tenement where Riverfront, Strati- where Riverfront Stadium would later be constructed. Yeah. Go Reds. Andy's father and his uncle built a houseboat from salvage lumber 
And then the, ba- the family boarded the houseboat and traveled down toward Portsmouth, Ohio in 1912, where they bought land, planning to build a house, but the Great Flood of 1913 happened, and it sort of allowed them to just move their boat onto the property and continue living on the boat, or living in the boat on dry land. Which sounds like a premise for an old, like, 70s sitcom, but I, I digress. The family is going to move around Ohio a fair bit. They purchase a farm in Duck Run, o- Duck Run, Ohio, and they build a six-room house. His dad took a job at a shoe factory in Portsmouth, and he would basically live in Portsmouth while working during the week and return home on the weekends and give gifts on paydays. One of these gifts would be a horse uh, to Leonard or Roy, and that would be where he would start to develop his horsemanship. Around the same time, the family hosted square dances because they couldn't really afford a lot of entertainment. And at these square dances, Lynn would sing, he would play the mandolin, and he would call the square dances. He also learned to yodel during this time because it was sort of like a, a cant for him and his mom to communicate across the floor. They would learn different specific yodels to communicate different things. He attended two years of high school in McDermott, Ohio, before the family returned to Cincinnati and he started helping his dad in a different shoe factory. And he was basically helping support the family at that point. By 1929, he and his father quit their factory jobs and they drove to Lawndale, California, where he would visit his older sister, Mary, and her husband. And they stayed with the family, or they stayed with his sister and her husband for about four months before returning to Ohio, which I don't know if customs were different back then, but that's a long time. Um, I I love my parents, but I I left at 17. The family would eventually rent a small house nearby, and Lynn and his father would find work driving gravel trucks for highway construction. This is 1929, and we're getting ready to see that stock market crash. So by spring of 1931, the construction company has gone bankrupt. Lynn travels to Tulare, California, where he starts picking peaches for Del Monte and living in a labor camp, sort of like you would have seen in a Steinbeck novel. Wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy, I'll be there. I'll be in the way guys yell when they're mad. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. That same year, he auditioned for a radio show in Inglewood and joined a short-lived singing group called the Rocky Mountaineers. They toured New Mexico and Arizona on a shoestring budget, which touring during the Great Depression at all seems kind of daunting. Um, but he met his first wife while in Roswell, New Mexico. Um, her name was Grace Arlene Wilkins. She called into a radio station that he was playing on, and she promised to bake him a pie if he sang the Swiss yodel. They He would leave uh, New Mexico and come what back. What is this California. Norman Rockwell shit? <laughs> so there's that, but also I just I feel like there must have been a euphemism in there somewhere, and that's just the way that my mind works. No, it's just these. It's just, yeah, go ahead. So they would correspond for the following few years and they would marry in 1936 the thing is at this point in time between 1931 and 1933 roy is going to take part in a number of different bands and groups trying to find his footing with varying degrees of success but eventually he finds himself in the pioneer trio which will be later renamed to the sons of pioneers because the radio host that they're playing with or that they're playing for thinks they look too young to be called the pioneer trio Um, but they would sign with deca records which we just mentioned a little while before. They were one of the first bands on the label, and they would release over 32 songs with them. 
pledging their love to the ground. Lonely but free I'll be found, drifting along with a tumbling tumbleweed. I'm a roving cowboy, riding all day long. Um, Weeds around me sing their lonely song. He got into film in 1935, and we're jumping back and forth in time just because Roy was a very busy, very hardworking man. He he didn't really stop. He got his first job in film as Leonard still. He wasn't really Roy yet, but he was a supporting role in a Gene Autry movie, which Gene Autry was the singing cowboy at that point in time. In 1938, Autry decided that he wanted to demand more money for his work. So the powers that be hosted a competition for a new singing cowboy. <laughs> he was a scab. <laughs> Surprised everyone. Um, so Lynn ended up winning. And it's at this point that Lynn becomes Roy Rogers. It's like capitalism in a nutshell, right? Like I want more money. Uh, you know what? Instead, we'll make you. Instead, we'll make you fight for it. <laughs> they would be rivals for for a time. But something interesting that Roy did in 1940, he bought the rights to his likeness. So any toys that went out or anything like that wouldn't necessarily go to the studio. And I don't know how common this practice was at that point, but I can't imagine that it was. From 1939 to 1954. He's listed consistently on lists of the top 10 money-making Western stars. He works pretty consistently. The Sons of the Pioneers continue. I don't think they've stopped performing up to present day, although all of the original members are dead, but they would keep cycling people out. As Roy's movie career took off, he appeared with them less, but he would still show up once in a while if they were between members or just to support them at shows and things like that. I don't think there was anything acrimonious in that. He just moved on to the next thing. He would lose his wife in 1946 because she would die of complications after giving birth. They This was after they had adopted a daughter uh, named Cheryl Darlene, but the son, Roy Jr., was born in 1946, and, and Grace died in that process. He would marry again when he met Del, Dale Evans, and they would be married for the rest of his life. They fell in love soon after Grace's death, which sounds weird to say out loud and was probably weirder to a lot of people that weren't comfortable saying anything. But they married on New Year's Eve in 1947 at the Flying L Ranch in Davis, Oklahoma, where they had filmed Home in Oklahoma a few months earlier. And they had five children. So he and he met Dale in 1944. They had both been known as advocates for adoption and they had founded and operated children's charities. This is not a Hallmark movie, I swear. They adopted several children, and they were super Christian, which is going to make sense given that he ends up in Apple Valley. Buildings and streets in Apple Valley have been named after them. What I didn't know was that Roy Rogers was an active Freemason and a Shriner, which is interesting. Roy Rogers would actually die of congestive heart failure on July 6th, 1998 in Apple Valley, California. He's buried at the Sunset Hills Memorial Park in the same town, as is his wife, we are actually about to launch into the bio of now. Um, so much like Roy, Dale was not born Dale. She was born Frances Octavia Smith on October 31st, 1912 in Uval, I hope I'm not mispronouncing this, Uvald, Texas. Um, her parents were Betty Sue Wood and T. Hillman Smith. 
Her, her early life was a little bit complicated. She spent some time living with her uncle in Arkansas. And then she eloped when she was 14 and married a guy named Thomas F. Fox, who, with whom she had one son. Um, Thomas F. Box? Thomas F. Fox. The son's name oh, was okay. Thomas F. Fox Jr. Um, and she had that kid at 15. She would be abandoned by her husband a year later. And she found herself in Memphis, Tennessee. And what do you do in Memphis if not pursue a career in music? So she landed a job with a couple of local radio stations, and she sang and she played piano. She divorced in 1929, at which point she took the name Dale Evans. And I don't, I don't fully know why she she settled on Dale Evans. I think it just it's easy for the the DJs to pronounce or something like that. But so she started in radio, but she would move on um, into jazz and swing and big band, and she would actually end up testing and contracting with 20th Century Fox. She was actually tied to another one of our Muppet Show guests uh, because she was a featured singer for a time on the Edgar Berg and Charlie McCarthy show. She went through, during this time, she had two additional failed marriages, uh, one from 1929 to 1935, and then one from 1937 to 1946. Um, And keeping in mind that she met Roy in 1944. She was promoted as the unmarried supporter of her teenage brother, Tommy, and Tommy is her son, Thomas jo- Tom Fox Jr., um, which would last up through her divorce in 1946. And I guess this is just the, the studio sort of doing their Rock Hudson thing where they want to make sure you maintain a, a squeaky clean image and it's harder to sell someone who had a kid young. It, it's right. which I'm, as I say that, that's not, I understand the thought process without agreeing with or, or supporting it, but it's a, it's a pattern that was very common back then because people were trying to preserve certain squeaky clean images. She would marry Roy on New Year's Eve in 1947, and they had, they, they were both on the Roy Rogers show. They had a very successful TV series. Roy rode Trigger, and she had a trusty, uh, trusty buckskin horse called Buttermilk, which is probably the most non-threatening horse <laughs> name that I think I have ever heard. She was very outspoken about her Christianity. She even tried to uh, speak at a project prayer rally, which I think was trying to push forward a an initiative to support mandatory school prayer, which was shot down by two consecutive decisions in 1962 and 1963 because it conflicts with the establishment clause of the First Amendment. She supported Barry Goldwater for 1964's presidential election. I believe Roy did as well. She would actually die of congestive heart failure on February 7th, 2001. She was also in Apple Valley. I think this was two years before I ended up out there. And she, she too was interred at Sunset Hills Memorial Park right next to Roy. The Muppet Show, episode 322, featuring guests Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Produced between January 23rd and 25th of 1979, it would premiere in the UK in February 23rd of the same year, and it would make it stateside on May 17th. We uh, we open the episode as we often do, although we're, we're coming through swinging doors this time. Yeah, we are. Thank you, Scooter. Hey, Scooter, what's this target doing here? Oh, well, we thought you'd feel more at home on the range. <laughs> So this is probably one of Scooter's more menacing openings, honestly, uh, because he goes in to see if Roy and Dale need any help feeling more at home. And they mentioned that there's a bullseye there. And he said that I wanted to make sure you guys feel at home on the range, which Scooter would star in a slasher flick. This is something that Warwick Davis would say as Leprechaun right before doing something terrible to someone. Okay. First of all, it could have been a, it could have been a firing range. 
but oh, instead it's better. a bomb range. Well, okay, it's not better. But 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 you know why it's a bomb range, not a firing range? No. Cold War, man. Oh. Still Cold Warriors. We still thought we were going to get bombed to death. Oh, this is darker. They should duck and cover. Uh, either Yes, either way, Scooter tries to murder the guest stars. He knows something we don't. Um, <laughs> yes. So we get to the Muppet Show theme and a whatnot. Like a, he looks like a Pinkerton, but he's a whatnot theater patron. Uh, who and he asks if Statler and Waldorf seats are taken, which guess how they're going to respond to that. Are these seats taken? No, take them. <laughs> I was expecting Gonzo to be run over because when he blows that trumpet, you hear a horse's whinny. I'm like, is that a mating call? Or are they hunting? Like, what's about to happen? Welcome to the Muppet Cowboy Show with tonight's stars Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. And it's not only my hat that's a tribute to the Wild Willy West. There's also my Wild Willy vest. <laughs> Are those your jokes? Uh, uh, yes, sir. I want to call it a whatnot, but his face is a bit more developed. Um, yeah, but it's a whatnot. It's a cowboy it's a whatnot. whatnot. A, a cowboy whatnot comes on and says that he takes offense to that. Get him off my land before you scare the horses. <laughs> Get those jokes off my land before they scare the horses. Oh, uh, so good. Listen, Kermit deserves it. These jokes are terrible. Yeah, but it's like. He's, I, cute. He's cute in his little cowboy outfit, though. I feel bad because when I when I see that the show has a like a country theme to it, my my expectations for it just sort of lower. That doesn't mean it can't be good. It just means that I'm like, okay, this this is sliding into some place, but so it's okay. the The theme of tonight is going to be squeaky clean in the desert dust. Yeah, it's not country as much as it is like cowboy. Yeah, like a, a western, but it's we aren't dealing with gritty western though. We're dealing with like super sanitized western. No, this isn't Unforgiven. Right. From there, we go to a group of prairie dogs singing the song Blue Skies. It's a 1926 Irving Berlin song from a musical called Betsy. Blue sky, smiling at me. Nothing but blue skies do I see. Later became the first song to be heard in a motion picture when Al Johnson performed it in The Jazz Singer, and that was the first time it synced sound. Blue sky, smiling at me, nothing but blue sky do I see. Oh, don't oh, bluebirds singing a song, nothing but little bluebirds all day long. When I watched this, I just thought that it was a nicer version of For What It's Worth. Like, I was waiting for people to walk wa- <laughs> yeah. walk by with guns. Because let's be fair, they're going to walk by with guns. But also, as it kept going, I just kept thinking to myself, they'll be back later and in greater numbers. And I don't know if that was the intended effect. No, I, I, I thought the coordination was really good. Yeah. The performance was really great in this um, as they bop up and down. My daughters observed that it was basically just whack-a-mole. Yeah. My wife compared it to Coosbane. The, uh, the... Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise, yeah. Um, And and yeah, the setup. But there's one shot in it where they go to the wide shot and they hold on that wide shot for a good long while where they're popping up and down, syncing to the music. It's kind of their show-off shot. Hmm. And it's really good. They do a really good job. There's not a ton to say about it. Like, it's so visual um, other than the song. It's just very, very visual. But uh, Statler and Wardorf do say it's a number that they could go for. From there we go backstage where we see a lot of cows for the cowboy show. Muppet cows this time, not Julie Andrew cows. Was that a missed opportunity? Because that was a note that I made. It's like, where's Julie Andrews' cow? It would be welcome here. Maybe the chef got a hold of it after all. 
Yeah, or it's still floating through space. So apparently Roy ordered the cows. Or they're just his cows. I, it sounds like he rented them, though. Like, they're just there oh, for the closing yeah. number. Oh, that's right. He ordered them for the closing number. Yeah. There's there's a, a moment of heartwarming when we realize that Fozzie has actually found his target audience because the cows love him. Comet, what the... What are these cows here for? Uh, well, they're apparently for Roy and Dale's closing number. <laughs> uh, say, what, what are they singing? Uh, catch a falling steer? <laughs> or, or, or if heifer, I should leave you? <laughs> stop, 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 stop. I can take the cows, but not the cow jokes. So we get our uh, first feature of one of our guests. Uh, Roy comes on to sing a song called Skyball Paint. It was written by Bob Nolan, who was one of his bandmates in uh, The Sons of the Pioneers. Um, and Roy was the front man until he left, at which point Nolan became the, the front man. But it's it's a nice bit. Um, it's just basically talking about the horse now, Scary, the horses. Roughest, toughest, meanest bucking horses that ever jumped out of a chute by the name of Old Skyball Paint. Now Old Skyball Paint is a devil saint, his eyes were a fiery red. Good men have tried this horse to ride, but shucks, all of them are dead. Now I won't brag, but boy, I rode that nag till his blood began to boil. Then I hit the ground and ate three pounds of good old Texas soil. Singing hi-ho, whoopie-tie-o, riding high and down you go, sons of the western soil. Singing hi-ho, But also, that horse's teeth? Like, I know that they talk about looking a horse in the mouth, and I know that that's just like conventional wisdom, and frankly, I haven't spent a lot of time around horses because, you know, I grew up near a military base. It doesn't make sense for me to have a car in San Francisco. I, I couldn't justify a horse. Um, <laughs> Plus, the food bills would be outrageous. Not to mention just having a place for them. Like, I would love to have a dog. I can't take care of a dog in this apartment. The song's about what what an asshole the horse is. Yeah, basically. Um, the, the horse with red rings around its eyes who either hasn't slept in days or... Or is quite possibly the Antichrist. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and Roy is there and he's smiling the whole time. And he's... So we've seen earlier guest stars do that thing where they're not even really interacting with the Muppets, and I don't think that's the case here. I think Roy's game, he understands what he's doing. He's real squeaky clean. Also, the sequins on that shirt, is that a normal thing? Like, the tassels? This is so, like, faux western chic stuff. Like, I mean, he's from Ohio. <laughs> you know? Like, it's it's just, it's just, it's just the look. You know? He grew up blue-collar. Like, I, he, he did. He worked. He worked very hard, but, like, but he's not he's not a southern dude <laughs> you know yeah yeah it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of sequins um shiny it's very shiny it's very shiny uh but i i think it's uh i don't know man it, it, it's how best to explain it it's roy rogers singing a song like it's to me like <laughs> that's what it is to me like roy rogers like yeah this is roy rogers he's not really singing he's kind of talk singing hmm Except for the chorus, maybe he, he'll have, you know, he, he's able to carry a tune, but he's not like belting it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just tells you this little tale and it's it's real clean and it's real country. And uh, uh, but in a very, it's very, it's still very Americana. Um, you know, the, the it's it's all about the myth of the American West. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the the um, like you said, the purification of it. 
you know, uh, mm-hmm. the whitewashing of it, uh, something that, you know, uh, America was guilty of for a very long time uh, with Western movies and stuff. It, but you're right. I think the word we're going to use is sterile and clean. Definitely words we're going to use more than once, except for this next scene, which disturbed me. I usually love seeing people take the piss out of Link, but this next scene feels like a little bit of, of an uh, after school special. Look what they did to my boy. <laughs> So we go backstage where we, I don't think we've actually seen Floyd interact with Link that much. Well, Link's never backstage. True. Not like this. Yeah. He's even got the, uh, the neckerchief. Link tells Floyd that the Cowboys have kicked him out of his dressing room. And Floyd tells Link to get tough with him. At which point we realize that Floyd got branded, which Link got branded. Yeah. Or yeah. Excuse me. That Link got branded, which Wow. First of all, yeah, he's branded with RR. He's branded for Roy Rogers. First of all. So that's messed up. And yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of gnarly. <laughs> like getting branded's no joke. No. <laughs> so it's kind of gnarly. Link turns his head towards the camera and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> First of all, I bet it smelled great. <laughs> In there. <laughs> Don't, don't oh. tell me it didn't smell fantastic. Oh, that I I would have expected myself to make that joke, but you caught me off guard. Good job. But oh, that's dark. <laughs> just saying, it would I mean, some little pork cheek would have been great. But <laughs> it was very disturbing to me, and and oddly more violent to me than the gunplay later. Right. Uh, well, the, one of these things is more cartoonish than the other. Like everything about the way that this this is set up, the look of sympathy on Floyd's face, the reveal, right? This is the like they do the reveal. Two yeah. steps away from a Lifetime movie. It's, it's just played pretty straight. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. It's played pretty straight. Roy's a monster, man. Roy's friends are monsters. Roy might just be like Ulysses S. Grant in this context and just hire the monsters. From there, we return to the wild world of Muppet Sports, where Louis Gazager is reporting on horseshoe pitching, which, yeah, it's pretty country. I've played, I've played, I've, well, it's Midwest too. I've played plenty of horseshoes in my life. You never played horseshoes? I never played it, but I was around a lot of people that did when I was a kid. And I think yeah. there are people, like there were military families I knew, but a lot of them had come up from South Carolina. I have a lot of memories as a kid of watching my dad and his brothers play horseshoes. There's a couple of cans of Budweiser somewhere and they're just playing, you know, they're playing horseshoes in the afternoons and on like Easter or something. Mm-hmm. You can see where it's going. Basically uh, the pitcher sort of forgets to take the horseshoes off of the horse. <laughs> and you're just in time for the deciding throw in the horseshoe pitch. As usual, I'm here on the spot. <laughs> Oh, I forgot to take the horseshoes off the horse. <laughs> and we see Statler and Waldorf, and somewhere they've got got. So are Statler and Waldorf just killers? What do they have? What? Why? I I don't know. I actually wrote the note there, and I can't remember why I put that note in there. But I just like, <laughs> are they killers? I, I know that we see them with revolvers at some point. I don't know if it's at this point. Oh, yet, this but. is when they pull the. Oh, you mean when they pull the guns out on each other? Yeah. To, to make each other dance? Yeah. I think that's later, though. I think that's later. Why did I put that note in there after you watch it? But we get to go to our uh, regularly scheduled nightmare fuel. <laughs> there it is. On our next the bit, babies. we have Dale, Ava- Dale Evans and the babies. Now, they're, 
This is like nested nightmare fuel, though, because on one hand, the, the baby... I love kids. The babies that you see... Uh, the puppet babies that you see are terrifying. Puppet Something about the way beady eyes. <laughs> yeah, puppet babies are very different from Muppet babies. Oh, yes, no. Although they are, they are, are themselves also Muppet babies. Yeah. So not all Muppet babies are puppet babies. So not all puppet babies are Muppet babies. No, they are. Who's I'm on very first? Confused. I'm very confused. Um, they're scary looking. Yes, they are. We've seen them before, but I love the one that's in front though. That's got the like. Uh, it, it looks like he has a hoodie on. He doesn't. He's got like a bonnet, but it looks like a hoodie. <laughs> I'm glad that one was about to stress me out because I remember seeing it there, and I'm like, nothing supporting that child. Oh no! It almost falls off at least once. <laughs> oh yeah, he does. But I'm just looking at that like. Don't don't do that. That's not okay. That kid still has a soft spot. That's just that's weird. And then you also have like the Chucky doll in the background. I'm just looking at this and I'm afraid of the babies and I'm afraid for the babies. And I just don't know how to feel about it. Meanwhile, she's sitting there smiling like the mom from the people under the stairs. It's just (laughs) (laughs) she sings a song. She is real close. She is somewhere between like lovable grandma and woman who raised her son to be a girl and kept her locked in the attic type of like movie villain. Yeah. She's very like, like she's either, she's very close to like flowers in the attic or my grandma. (laughs) Although I don't know that much about my grandma. She and the babies are singing a song called deep in the heart of Texas. It is a 1941 song by Don Zwander. And June Hershey. Um, it was a Perry Como B-side. It would become very popular in the state, as you might imagine. But it was used pretty well in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> I also want to mention that she was introduced as the king of cowboys and his lady. She's not the queen of anything. She's... Even though she's got songwriting credits in this episode, and he doesn't. Yeah. It's okay, though, because she should also go to jail for child endangerment. Aren't they really big on adoption? The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. The sky is wide and high. Deep in the heart of Texas. They are. She does say she wants to bring them all home. No, you don't. You don't want to bring these babies home. I mean, you don't want them to leave again if they keep hitting their head like that. You want the others to stay, don't you? Why would you bring these home? Oh. She does offer to adopt them all, which I, I didn't know that about them as far as their adoption, them being big proponents of adoption, but it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah, this is just very... I, whenever I hear this song, I hear Pee- I see Pee-wee's Big Adventure in my head. <laughs> the stars at night are big and bright Deep in the heart of Texas <laughs> I'm with you on the babies, man. The babies are... It's it's upsetting every time. I wa- but, the, like, it's a weird... Do you know what they remind thing? me of? They remind me of the pod people uh, in Dark Crystal when they get their essences sucked out. You're right. Oh, that's upsetting. That's what they remind me of. It's, but also like this is doubly bad because not only was I unnerved by them, but I also wanted to make sure they were okay. And that's a weird contradiction of feelings that I'm not a huge fan of. But from here we go to our UK spot where we get two thirds of the country trio. We've got Jim and Jerry singing a song called A Four-Legged Friend while riding cows. 
the song was written by Jack Brooks in 1952. And the one note that I put down was just Mongo because Mongo came to town on the back of a bull, I think. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. But also there's probably good reason that we don't use cows as steeds. You know, Dex, I love a life out here. Oh, yeah. I love the desert and I love the mountains. Mm. Yep. But most of all, I love these horses. A four-legged friend, a four-legged friend. He'll never let you down, let you down. He's honest and faithful right up to the end. That wonderful one, two, three, four-legged friend. Here's my head cannon. These guys have stolen these. These guys are real dummies. And they they went to steal a couple of horses, and they act, instead they stole a couple of cows. A horse is better if it's got horns. Yeah, exactly. They're like, look, look at that. Those horses have horns. Those are badass. And so they stole those, and so they think they've gotten away with some horses. And I just imagine that, like, behind them, like, is the sheriff, like, just basically, like, his horse is just kind of at a slow trot, like, watching these idiots try to get away. To their credit, the uh, the cows are taking direction very well. No, Jim and Jerry, uh, they're really they're really good in this. I think they they I, I like how they play the horses going back and around each other and stuff while they sing. Um, but yeah, they sing a song called "Yeah, Your Four Legged Friend." Speak, bossy. We'd be lost without these horses, you know. Oh, I say we would. Wonder why they call us cowboys. <laughs> A four-legged friend, a four-legged friend. He'll never let you down, let you down. So we get our bear on patrol, which is a flashback like we might expect. But a an outlaw named Bullet Sparker is coming for Sheriff Link, who hides from the outlaw. And under I just, his desk. Yeah. Under his desk, because that's the right thing to do i guess and also the outlaw was shooting into the sheriff's department before link hid but so can we just talk about the fact that ernie's gone through some very very hard times he grew a mustache he probably developed a drinking (laughs) problem what happened to ernie (laughs) that he became bullets barker it does look like ernie a little bit (laughs) does look like Evil Ernie, which I do believe it's, was a comic book character, <laughs> Evil Ernie. But uh, it's Ernie's uncle that no one in the yeah, family he, talks to anymore because he made certain decisions. Yeah, and it makes you wonder what happened to Bert. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened to Ernie. <laughs> yeah, he's he's out on a campaign of vengeance. Link is somehow involved. This is the Kill Bill remake that we didn't know we needed. So uh, yeah, this is very violent. <laughs> There's a lot of guns in this one. This is the Second Amendment episode. It, it seems to be. Although, to Patrol Bear's credit, he does trick Barker into a jail cell. Oh, no. Uh, Fozzie totally wins in this one. Oh, yeah. What I love about Bear and Patrol is Fozzie gets to be the smart one, which is not something he gets a lot. But compared to Link, he gets to be the smart one. Um, but I like that Fozzie won. I also like the fact if you look at the wanted posters, it looks like the entire Electric Mayhem is wanted for crimes. <laughs> there's a Janus, there's a there's a there's a suit, there's a very prominently displayed uh animal at one point. I think the entire mayhem is wanted for some crimes. Probably narcotic related. Maybe vagrancy. I thought this was like I thought it was a little uncomfortable to have like okay. The best moment of this though is when 
Fozzie's talking to Barker and Link's hiding under the desk and Fozzie slips up and he says, oh, he would never leave without his gun. And that cues Barker into the fact that Link probably hasn't left yet. And Fozzie mm-hmm. kneels down under the desk to, to Link and is like, I'm sorry. And Link just punches him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Link just cracks him in the face. <laughs> and it was so unexpected to me. <laughs> just his arm just shoots out and it becomes a story point because he ends up hurting his hand but it's just a funny shot of him just thwapping him, him in the face yeah it made the whole it made the whole sketch for me this reminded me but uh yeah this was this was funny but i and i like that patrol bear or patrol deputy i guess in this case or deputy bear in this case uh i i like that he won and saved his boss's life and outwitted the bad. You know what? He used the same trick that that pig used on him before. But this takes place before that, doesn't it? I think this is patrol bears ancestor. That was better at his job than current patrol bear is. Oh, it's like back to the future three. Yeah. So we have a talk spot. <laughs> we do have a talk spot. Yeah. We, we have a callback to, to one of our personal favorites. Sans the Debo rat. Uh, we are backstage, Roy and Kermit are talking, and they sing a part of Froggy Went to Courtin'. Froggy went to Courtin' and he did ride a sword and a pistol by his side. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> hey, Roy, you know, it sure is nice having you and Dale with us. At which point, Roy decides to teach Kermit how to yogurt. And there's, there's a little bit of a conversation about, like, why... Roy doesn't typically play villains. Maybe it's because in real life, his friends brand pigs, but you know, only sentient pigs. Roy tries to teach Kermit to yodel because his ability to yodel is part of why he never has to wear the black hat. And Kermit, Kermit gives it a good try. I would say. Just repeat after me. Yeah. I'll see you later, Roy. Where are you going? I'm going to buy a black hat. But after a certain point, he just realizes that he's got to go and buy a, buy a black hat. Yeah, he's never going to be that guy. He teaches him how to yodel a little bit, and then he gives him a more complex one. He's like, I'm outie. You don't want to play that game of horse. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. He's like, never mind. But yeah, it is interesting. They've kind of brought back the talk spot in these episodes. When was the last time we saw Slim Wilson? It's been a while since we've seen the Gugulala Jubilee Jug Band, I think. At least featured. Hmm. So I don't know. Maybe Loretta Lynn? That might have been it. Or we've moved on to see the, red, the red-eyed horse again, old Skyball paint, and Slim Wilson tries to ride him. Try is the operative word. I don't think uh, <laughs> old Skyball Ouch. paint is a uh, particularly companionable horse to, to point out the fact that human beings are selfish and only able to see uh, the world, the immediate world around them um, and, and only care about those uh, don't and have a hard time caring about uh, those they don't know. Um, while they were very upset when Fozzie got beat up, this was freaking hysterical to them. <laughs> yeah, because Fozzie's a named character and we know who's this is, is some but... guy they don't care about. And they thought it was hysterical when he hit his head and then he got crunched in half. They thought that was funny. Fozzie getting slapped around, not so funny. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, um, this looked like I'm, it hurt, though. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. Really looked no, like, like it hurt. 
I was kind of worried. This is like a Johnny Knoxville stunt. Yeah. yeah, it looked like it was in something from Jackass. I, I did make another note here for between this and the next set. Is Statler and Waldorf really love their Second Amendment? Yeah, they have a little scene where they're shooting. Although it's kind of weird. He starts Statler shooting at Waldorf, and Waldorf actually does like a little pirouette. <laughs> and he's like, oh, could I dance that beautifully? And then he just starts shooting Statler in the foot. I just. It's like a full spider in Goodfellas. I feel like those two are old, too old to drive. So they probably shouldn't. Hey, you will not. This is America. Yeah. I will not hear of it. I will not hear of it. We will just get our kids bulletproof backpacks. I will not hear of this. Of course, that's uh, foolproof. We go backstage again, and Fozzie is still telling the cows jokes, but they're then taken away by audience rustlers, setting us up for the final bit. That's gotta, that's gotta suck for Fozzie. You know, you finally find that thing that works and then it gets taken away from you. Yeah. We, I mean, he gets, he gets that ego boost though. Mr. Um, the, we, we get both of our guest stars together uh, for the first time. And I think they've done this. They did it with uh, Chris Christopherson and um, Rita Coolidge. I wrote down first, welcome to the three amigos. Yeah, pretty much. This, this is like a scene from the three amigos. Uh, Roy, Roy and Dale sing a medley of songs. I did. We, we get to see Muppy again. We do. We do. My girls were very happy. I also had a question. Uh, what is in that pot? Because that's an actual fire. And I don't know how long it took them to shoot this. There's a twerking cow in the background. And I mentioned that specifically because it would make sense to see them like jumping up and down or something. But this cow looked over her shoulder while she was throwing it back. And I wasn't. It feels out of place on a good day, but in the squeaky queen or in the squeaky clean cowboy thing, it's just like. There is something about the west. Put your heart and your soul to rest. Makes you feel you're really blessed. Hazy Mountain. So there's something that happens every time they close up on Roy or Dale's face in this. And they'll try to, I I think what they're trying to do is like reflect the firelight, but it looks like they're standing near a traffic light. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. And it it pulled me out of it a little bit, but yeah. Some of the artificiality with the lighting. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they do the exact same thing that, that Roger did. Mm -hmm. They just sit down and they sing a medley of four of their songs. That's exactly what Roger did. In this case, it's a it's an old fashioned cowboy campfire. But uh, except this one has a Mexican number, but look at, look, she has writing credit on two of these songs. His buddy from the sons of the pioneer explorer conquistadors, whatever wrote a song, wrote one of these songs as well. He gets no credit. Why is he the top billing guy? Well, he's, he's, he doesn't write any of this. Because he can yodel? <sighs> Damn patriarchy. <laughs> See 
It's okay, she's going to jail for child endangerment. If that's, yes, if that's that's true. She, I mean, she's no saint in this. She's no saint in this. It, I'm always going to laugh at the fact that he was introduced as the king of cowboys and she was introduced as his lady. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, this was okay. I thought this was kind of boring. I looked at it through that lens of it just might not have been one of the episodes that were for me. I, like it, it cohered. The Baron Patrol was great. The kids were terrifying. I, I did. I usually like seeing Link get the piss taken out of him, but I did legitimately feel bad for him on this one. <laughs> yes. And the thing is, we only see him once. Like and that's his money maker. <laughs> it was. If he's not pretty, what does he have? Personality? No, he doesn't. He's got nothing. That it's not. That's not only physically harming a man. That's taking away his livelihood. Without that gorgeous face, you don't you don't have a Link Hogthrob. So so did you find this in your research? The until we meet again on screen or in person, good night, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you. Um, I did find that they had um, they were very outspoken about their their faith. I just wonder if this was like a way they signed off on their show. It, Jim made it seem like it was. Listen, Roy, at this point, I usually say goodnight to everybody, but tonight I'd appreciate it if you said it your way. Well, I'd be glad to, Kermit. Until we meet again on the screen or in person, goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you. Yeah, they made it because Kermit was like, I'll let you guys do it. Like, you know, like he was going to say, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not or whatever. Uh, or or goodnight, Gracie. There's it, it is a proper sign off. May the good Lord take a liking to you. I was told Jesus loves me no matter what. I'm going to be careful about that soapbox. Just saying, before, this uh, seems very conditional. May the good may I, the good Lord take a liking to you. It's just based on like? It's just based on him liking you? It's a cherry-picked thing. You know, maybe the deists were right, and we're all God's abandoned Neopets. I don't think this was a bad episode. I just don't think it no, was a for-me episode. And I also might be a little bit jaded just because I don't have the most positive associations with Apple Valley, California. Next time... Froggy gets a quarterstaff. So in our next episode, we are going to be finishing up season three of The Muppet Show. I can't believe it. We're going to be finishing up season three with episode 323 with special guest star actress Lynn Redgrave. And then also 324, uh, Cheryl Ladd, also an actress. Um, So those should be both really good. And then uh, after that, we'll get into our uh, season wrap up and um, see how many lists the Harry Belafonte episode ends up on. I've got to restrain myself. Uh, I'll ask you again, check us out on social media at lunatic daring. And uh, yeah, I'm going to start pushing this whole like review us thing. We would appreciate it. It would be really nice. But uh, so while you're doing that, uh, uh, my name is Chad. My name is Nick. And thank you for listening. Feet of Lunatic Daring is written and produced by Chad J. Shonk and hosted by Chad J. Shonk and Nicholas Jackson. Music by Seth Podolitz. And a proud production of Antithesis Audio. Moo. No. Boo. Boo. <laughs> <laughs>